Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. We're thankful to have visitors with us and always we want to make you feel welcome. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. Next Sunday we begin our gospel meeting and we want to encourage everyone to make sure and be a part of that meeting, to make plans to be here for every service. Brother Robert Rawson will be with us and we are anticipating a great week and hope and pray that you can be here for that series of meetings. We're going to be looking tonight at James chapter 1. Before we do that, I do want to mention that uh, we had a good number present at the Olive Grove Terrace this afternoon. I think Billy said we had about 20 there for the singing, and we had several that led singing, and we're grateful to those that came and participated. If you've never been, I would encourage you to mark your calendar. Uh, come and be with us next month. The residents there always appreciate seeing new faces, and they really like to see young people. And uh, I know they appreciate our young people that are able to go. And so if you have the opportunity next month, please make plans to come and be a part of that. Tonight we're going to be talking about genuine Christianity. James calls it true religion. What does it mean to live a genuine Christian life? Sometimes we talk about Christianity in theory, but really what God wants us to do is take what he has said and put it into practice. And so if we fail to do that, then obviously that creates a lot of problems, not just for us, but for those who observe how we live here upon this earth. I want us to look tonight at what James has recorded. I want us to begin in verse 22. We're, we're really going to be looking at verses 22 through 27 as we think about genuine Christianity. And there are two things that I want us to consider together as we think about this lesson. First of all, I believe it is possible for us to undermine our profession by our practice. What do I mean when I say we undermine our profession by our practice? Well, in short, we don't live up to the standard. We don't put into practice what we believe, what we profess. When we do that, we create a lot of questions in the minds of people. Because you see, people look at us and they say, he or she is supposed to be a New Testament Christian. They are supposed to, to live according to the precepts of Scripture. So when we fail to measure up, we in a sense undermine Christianity. We undermine our profession. I want us to begin by thinking for just a moment about the illustration that is set before us in verses 22 through 24. And the illustration has to do with a forgetful or careless hearer. So there is really an illustration and then application. Note, if you would, what James said, beginning in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James said, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So here's somebody that looks into the perfect law of liberty, that is the word of God, which is a mirror to the soul. And rather than taking heed to what he or she has read and making application, 
that individual forgets and goes back to his or her old way of life. Let me just say that those who are forgetful or careless hearers, there are a couple of reasons for this. Number one, I believe they lack giving proper attention to the word of God. They are, as I said a moment ago, a careless hearer. When you read and study the word of God, do you do so with the mindset that you are delving in to the inspired word of God, that this book comes to us from God, that it ought to be treasured, that this book is intended to guide us in life, ultimately to our home in heaven? In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus presents a series of parables. And in verse 13, he talks about those who see, but he said they don't see. He said, hearing, they don't hear, nor do they understand. Sometimes we read the word of God. For that matter, sometimes we listen to the word of God but we fail to pay adequate attention to what we read or what we hear. And thus, we are careless. I would encourage all of us to listen attentively to the Word of God. When we read it, when it's being taught in the classroom, when it's being preached, why is that? Because God's Word is intended to instruct, correct, reprove, rebuke, the bottom line is this, it's intended, as I said a moment ago, to guide us home. Listen, if you would, to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. God's word gives light or direction to our lives here upon earth. The Bible talks about how we live in darkness. As a matter of fact, the world is engulfed in spiritual darkness. John would say in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. What the devil wants is to keep us shrouded in spiritual darkness. And the only way that we can be attuned to the will of God is to delve into his book, to read, to study, to meditate on his truth. And then there's a second thing. Those who are careless or forgetful hearers, not only do they lack giving proper attention to the Word of God, but they lack adhering to God's Word. Listen again to what James said. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He said if somebody is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what manner of man he was. I want to ask you a question. Did you look in the mirror before you came to services tonight? Most of us did. What if you looked in the mirror and you realized that what you were wearing didn't match or didn't look presentable? What would you do? Most of us would change, wouldn't we? Well, the picture here is that of somebody that looks into God's Word, the mirror of the soul. And rather than taking the appropriate steps to correct his or her life, he goes back to his old ways. And so what James is saying is, don't fall into that trap. Now, what about the application? What's the application for us? I want us to drop down and look at verse 26, first of all. 
James said, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Some translations say vain. It's empty. We would say it's good for, no it's good for nothing. I want us to think for a moment about unwholesome words. Did you know that our speech has a lot to say about our heart? Think about it for a minute. The words that you use in life say a lot about who you are and what you are. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Matthew chapter 12, he said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. What do you think Jesus is trying to say? I think what Jesus is saying is we need to guard our heart. We need to pay careful attention to what we take in. Solomon said many, many centuries ago, guard your heart with all diligence or vigilance for out of it flows the issues of life. If you take garbage in, then ultimately garbage is what's gonna be emitted. By the same token, if you feed on good things, if you're constant, constantly feeding on things that are righteous and holy, then you're gonna cultivate the right kind of heart and your speech is gonna be what it ought to be. By way of application, those who are forgetful or careless hearers, their speech is not what it ought to be. Look over in chapter three. You ever thought about the attention that James gives to what we would call practical Christianity? If you want an Old Testament correlation to the book of James, it would be Proverbs because it deals with practical living on a daily basis. And what James is saying is, you wanna live a godly life, you wanna live a life that exemplifies genuine Christianity, true religion, then take to heart what I'm saying. Listen to what James said in chapter three. In verse five he said, the tongue is a little member and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. We could destroy a house, a building, a forest with one match. And what James is saying is the very speech that we use can literally destroy the good that we ought to do in this world. There are some folks, sadly, that have mastered the art of being what I would call a verbal assassin. I mean, they know how to use speech and denigrate their fellow man. They use their speech in unwholesome ways. And James is saying that as a child of God, we need to guard our speech. Look, if you would, at verse six. He said, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, he said, the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. The term hell here in the original is Gehenna. Jesus had more to say about the subject of hell than any other person in the New Testament. 
The only other person that used the term Gehenna other than Jesus is James. It's found right here. Now we talk about unwholesome words. Listen, if you would, to what James said down in verse 10. Well, look at verse 9. He said, with it, that is with our tongue, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Now note what he says. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. We can come every first day of the week and sing songs of praise and then leave this building and use profanity, use what I would call gutter language. We can employ euphemisms that denigrate the name of God. And in so doing, we tarnish our reputation. And what James is saying is, we're not measuring up. We're not living as God would have us to live. I understand that sometimes we say things we ought not to say. And there are occasions when all of us have what we, what we call slips of the tongue. But there are some folks that have a bad habit. I remember years ago, you know how they dealt with bad language? You know how mamas dealt with bad language? They took a little bit of soap and they washed their children's mouth out. I had somebody tell me not long ago that happened one time and that was enough for them. There's some folks today, and sadly some in the church, that need a good dose of mouthwashing. There's a second thing. The forgetful hearer or the careless hearer is uninvolved in the work. Listen, if you would, to what James says in verse 27. Pure religion or pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Now let's just stop there. James here is saying that as God's people, we are to be benevolent people. But there are some folks in the body of Christ, they are uninvolved in the work of the church. We have just reorganized our visitation program. Last night, our team met at the Bells home, and we had a tremendous turnout I think we had just about everybody on our team present. And so we got started in a positive way. The idea is to get everyone involved in reaching out to other people. When James talks about visiting the fatherless and widows, he's saying that we need to be able, that we need to be ready to render aid to those people. God is concerned about the widow and the orphan. And we are his hands and his feet. We have the ability to minister to those people. And yet there are some folks that fail to reach out to others. They are totally uninvolved in the work. And yet 
Over and over again, the Bible talks about the importance of being involved in the work of the church. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus spoke of that great and final day. And he said that there will be some that he will say to on that last day, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. I was naked, you didn't give me anything to wear. I was sick and in prison, you didn't come to me. And then listen to what he will say. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see how important it is for us to put into practice the teaching of God? God wants us to live what we preach. He wants us to practice what we preach. Sometimes we do a great job of preaching and teaching to other people. The problem is not what we say. The problem is with what we do or don't do for that matter. You ever thought about the scathing series of rebukes that Jesus leveled against the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. There is a series of woes directed toward those religious people. And he said, they say and do not. Down in about verse 29, he said, outwardly they appear righteous before men. You see, when people looked at them, they thought, hey, everything's okay. But inwardly, they are full of all lawlessness or iniquity or uncleanness, as some translations may render it. So the careless or forgetful hearer, first of all, employs unwholesome words. Secondly, is uninvolved in the work. And thirdly, is unbridled in the world. Is it not the case that as God's people, we are to keep ourselves in check think for a moment about the world James said the goal of every child of God is to keep himself or herself unspotted from the world Paul would say in Romans chapter 12 at verse 2 that we are not to be conformed unto this world there are some people in the church that have failed to take to heart what the Bible says about the world. Who is in control of the world? The Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this age, the God of this world. That would be Satan, wouldn't it? And Satan is employing the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, to tempt us. Sadly, sometimes we fall victim to the things of the world. There are people in the church that they live like the world, they talk like the world, they act like the world. And so the conclusion is this, they're worldly. In chapter 4, verse 4, James said, You adulteresses, 
Know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. In Romans chapter 7 verse 4, the Bible tells us that we have been married to Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. In the Old Testament, ancient Israel was said to have been married to God. Unfortunately, time and again, they were unfaithful to God. As a child of God, as somebody who is married to Christ, if I fail to live as I'm supposed to live, then what James is saying is, I'm committing spiritual adultery. And James said that those who commit spiritual adultery are at variance with God. He said they have made themselves enemies of God. Now John said if we love the world and the things which are in the world, we have literally hooked our wagons to that which is not going. It's not going to last. He said love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, he said the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now listen to him. He said, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. I would say this. Some people in the church have fallen in love with the world. It begins by allowing ourselves to conform to the world. There is conformity, and then there is friendship, and as a result of conformity and friendship, there is love. And when we fall in love with the world, we are on dangerous ground. There's a second thing I want you to see as we look at James chapter 1. First, we talk about undermining our profession by our practice. But secondly, underlining our profession by our practice. I said a moment ago that if we, if we fail to live as we're supposed to live, if we don't practice what we preach, then we raise questions in the minds of people. Because a lot of folks, when they see us, when they hear us, when they observe our behavior, they say, I thought... I thought he or she was a Christian. I thought, I, thought, I thought they said they belonged to the body of Christ. But if we put into practice the teaching of the Bible, here's what it does. It underlines our profession. How so? By our practice. And rather than raising questions, it creates what I would call an exclamation point. It says to the world, this is how we're supposed to live. If the world is going to be won over to Christ, how's it going to happen? It's going to happen by those of us who belong to the body of Christ preaching and teaching people about the Lord, but then living the teaching of the Lord. We are supposed to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Sometimes the greatest sermon people ever hear is not so much verbal, but rather it's visible. 
It's visible by how we live. What we're trying to do is create thirst in the lives of people so that when they see us, they say, look, whatever they have, I want it. There are a lot of people in our world today, I promise you, there's a tremendous void in their lives. They're like Solomon of old. They have literally tried everything. They have tried this, they've tried that, they've looked here, they've looked there, and they are still wanting. There's still that void in life. Solomon tried it all. And Solomon said, listen, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. This is what life's all about. Fear God, keep his commandments. For this is man's all. That's what life is about. So when we practice what we preach, in effect, we're saying, you want to live a happy, contented, satisfied life? Here it is. It's in Christ. Living the Christian life. We stress sometimes selling the gospel. All of us ought to be salespeople. What we're doing, we're selling the truth. We're trying to get people to buy into the truth of Almighty God. Solomon said, buy the truth and sell it not. What I'm trying to do is create a thirst in the lives of people so that they want to become New Testament Christians. So having said that, look again at our lesson text. I want you to look at verse 25. As we think about the careful hearer or the faithful hearer. Verse 25, James said, He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. That's the illustration. Here's somebody that looks deeply into the word of God. They inspect the truth of Almighty God. That word look or looks carries with it the idea of inspecting. And that's really what we're called upon to do. Inspect God's word. How often do you inspect this book that we call the Bible? Do you do so every day? You want to know what the Bible teaches? You want to know how you're supposed to live? You better spend time in this book. You can't know this book unless you pick it up and read and study and meditate upon it. The psalmist in Psalm 1 said, his meditation was on the law of Jehovah, and he said, in that law he meditated day and night. I think about somebody who gets up in the morning and they're thinking about the word of God. Throughout the day, they're thinking about certain passages of scripture. They go to bed at night and they're thinking about the word of God. In Psalm 119, 97, the psalmist said, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation, listen to him. All the day. Here's somebody that's inspecting the truth of God. Do you want to have a deeper faith? Do you want to have a stronger faith? Do you want to have a growing faith? Here's how you do it. Spend time in this book. Inspect it. Did you know that it's our responsibility individually to inspect this book and then draw our conclusions? As a parent, I can encourage my child to read and to study the scriptures. I can say this is what the Bible teaches, this is what, this is what the Lord has said, but ultimately he has to read and study and draw his own conclusions. It's called standing on your own feet. And coming to a knowledge of the truth and understanding that this is what I believe. And this is why I believe it. 
Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts always and be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. So here's somebody who is inspecting the word of God and then they are implementing the word of God. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 talked about the wise and foolish hearers, the wise and foolish builders, didn't he? The foolish builder, the application was, or rather the lesson was, he heard the word of God, but he didn't do it. The wise hearer listened, made application, did it, and he was considered to be a wise builder. What about the application? Look first at verse 26. Again, James said, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is use useless. Here's somebody that bridles his or her words. Sometimes we have to work really hard at bridling this very small member in the human body. Note, if you would, James chapter 3 again. In verses 3 and 4, James uses two illustrations to, to describe this small member called the tongue and the great power it welds in life. He said, indeed, we put, horse, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So James is saying the tongue is a small member, but it welds great power. As a child of God, we have to bridle the tongue. That's why in verse 2 he said, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect or mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. I want to ask you, have you bridled your tongue? And as we think about the words that we employ, in our day and time we have a lot we have a lot of different means at our disposal to communicate with people. There are a lot of folks that use Facebook. There are a lot of people that, that tweet. There are some that text. There, there are a lot of ways that we can communicate. What you put on the internet and the things that you tweet are out there for people to see. And let me caution you, if you use words that are out of harmony with the will of God, people pick up on that. And you're not demonstrating a bridled tongue. And it is a reflection on your character. It is a reflection on your relationship to the Lord. And it is a reflection on the church of Christ. So you need to think about that. Then secondly, benevolent works. James again said, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. James here emphasizing the benevolent attitude that we're to have toward one another. Paul said, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let us, as we have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially them which are the household of faith. We have the opportunity to minister to the needs of other people. Again, Matthew 25, Jesus said, I was hungry. What would you do? You gave me something to eat. He said, I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. 
I was naked and you clothed me. He said, I was a stranger, you took me in. I was sick and in prison, you visited me. That's what Christianity is all about. Helping one another. And then thirdly, we behave in the world. We keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Paul said it like this. We are to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. When people look at your life, what conclusion do they come to? Do they see you as a genuine Christian? Do they see you as somebody who typifies Christianity? Or do they see something far less? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. I want to encourage you to take the teaching that is set forth in Scripture. Put it into practice. Begin today. Be a doer of the word. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. God is interested in the salvation of your soul. If you will repent and be baptized just like they did on Pentecost Day as recorded by Luke in Acts 2.38, you will enjoy the remission of your sins. God will add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. And you'll live in hope of life eternal, Titus 1, verse 2. If you're here tonight, maybe your life doesn't measure up. Could I encourage you to come home? As a family, we're here to pray, with, to pray for one another. We have the opportunity to pray for one another. We'd be more than happy to do that for you this hour. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?